Welcome back to Dice and Salt. I'm Lady Toast. And I'm Lord Richter. And this week we're here with episode 157, Blasted by the Past. Not to be confused with Blast from the Past with Brendan Fraser. That's right, folks. And and Alice something? Now, wasn't that was Clueless name? Girl? It, yeah, I just don't remember her name. Alicia Silverstone. That's who it was, Alicia Silverstone. That wasn't... Wait, was are you sure it wasn't Reese Witherspoon? I'm, nope, I'm looking. Okay. I'm looking. Okay, right okay. At it. sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, Some that was the name that popped into my head, which you know, I I could see how you would get those those two confused. They're both you know blonde and girls. But yeah, no, it's it's yeah, but yeah, it's Alicia Silverstone. Very nice, very nice. Oh, there's, there's a lot of people in that movie. Christopher Walken. Yeah, some of those Nathan, Nathan Fillion was in that movie. What? Yeah, I what was I watching that I that I turned on that kind of blew me away with how star studded it was that surprised me. Mystery Men. No, Mystery Men I knew was <laughs> was loaded full of folks. That one is was absolutely hundred percent, and I knew that one. But there was some older movie that I was rewatching, and I was like, "Holy crap!" It was just like a who's who of mm-hmm. like you know, nineties and two thousand top actors and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, I just I, I'm trying to remember the the name of the film now and I'm I'm you know can't remember it at all. But it just it blew me away because it was like I remember the film, it was good enough to like throw on again. And then I was like, whoa shit, everybody's in this thing. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, Mystery Men I knew was was loaded full of folks. Cause it had yeah. uh God, I can't remember the guy's name. He played most recently he played Barbosa. Captain Barbosa from the Pirates franchise. And I think he's had more stuff since then, too. As, uh, you know, Casanova Frankenstein. I can't think of his name. Geoffrey Rush? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. Um, so here we are. We start the episode. As you remember from last episode, lay down in the dirt. We'll see you next week. And they're laying <laughs> in the dirt. And they buried them. Yeah. So, and they the did not bury them. <laughs> They they put the little camera in the in the grave and they started throwing dirt on it. Right, right, right. <laughs> but speaking of graves, no, they, they did. Speaking of graves, we we zoom in. Everybody gets their own session because they're they're laying in the dirt and they're going through this experience to flip the polarity of the obals to try and save the Kumaro tree, and mm. which has been removed. Uh, that's right. part of the description. They were been each removed. given yeah. seeds. They were each given the seeds that they're supposed to bond with and. Mm. Uh, Utrid first realizes he's in a dark stone space. And when he pushes the heavy lid off, he's in a stone coffin and pops up in Rossler's tomb again. Once again, <laughs> five books worth. I know. I know. And after he missed the first opportunity in, in the start of book five, here it is. Boom. Five books in a row. We have visited that goddamn tomb. I love it. I, I love it. Love it. It's so good. <laughs> it is. It is when, genius. Genius. I, after I, I was, <laughs> I was literally driving when I was listening to this one, right? And I, I literally stopped and pulled over so that I, <laughs> I could message Alex about it. <laughs> what did I tell? Him? What did I tell? Him? Um, where did I? Where did I do this? Where did I send it? I know I said something. It wasn't anywhere I could read it. Oh, no, maybe it was. Let me go back and look. It might have been. Oh, yeah. It, 
Yeah, I, I said you did it in like the you crazy largest bastard. You did. Yeah, you that's crazy right. Crazy bastard, you did it. That's right. That's <laughs> right. He just he just responds with the Snoop Dogg dancing gif, and I'm just like, oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, was pretty classic. Oh, <laughs> so good. Yeah, that's that's when I learned, folks. No, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was good. I loved that. Yeah, when he wakes up with um rossler 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 himself i love this conversation because it's like oh yeah no it's it's his soul shouldn't even exist anymore it should have been purified and gone back through the cycle yep yep he's here but he's here and we don't know why he doesn't know why and uh he has the conversation with utrid that to me just confirms 100 percent what i've been saying throughout this AP that Uhtred is going to become the evil to stop the evil because <laughs> Rossler sa- says all the things about, well, I saved, you know, millions of lives. I, you know, put in a number, insert a number, billions of lives were saved because I sacrificed a few, you know, however you want to yeah. say it, folks, whatever, whatever number you want to put there, I saved all of them because I sacrificed those few. And uh, yeah. Oh That's- God, it's it just sucked. <laughs> I, I, yeah. but he, it, he comes off as a total dick. He's a complete dick. And he, you know, he says, you're just like me. And Utrid yeah. says, I'm not like you. Cause I'm not going to hide it and pretend I have this legacy. I don't have people can love uh, me, hate me. I don't care. And I'm just thinking, Oh, Utrid, you're so much farther along the evil scale. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't just, care. I, I know what I did much, was right. Yeah. I just, I hated how, Rossler was like, yes, but you're going to preserve my legacy. And he's like, I don't give a shit about your legacy. Yep. And, no, no. In the end, he's like, yeah, I'm probably going to end up, re- you know, not bad mouthing you anyway, but fuck you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was it was bad. It was bad. Just yeah. horrible. I, I think at this point, like a thousand years later, nobody gives a shit about Rossler. He's, he's, he's like a, a footnote in history. Well, yeah, Rossler's coffer is probably like a- this tiny dinky town that nobody really has i mean it plays no other significance yeah so like the, he, yeah he, he's concerned about his legacy but like most people unless you like i i guess if you are studying specifically like the shining crusade right rossler comes up but otherwise he he, he he's, it's a thousand years ago yeah i nobody, it, it definitely the impression i get is that it's not on everyone's mind you know about yeah. rossler but yeah, so so Uhtred has his moment, and then uh, if I remember right, we go our genus next. I think so. With um, yeah, the pale lady that we've seen about? before. Yeah, who we now learn is a daughter of Urgothoa, and was was this the one with all four of the daughters? No, that was oh no, maybe was, I'm sorry, maybe it was Valspar next, or uh, sorry right, Valbar was, Valbar Fiddlestitch. That was the four daughters <laughs> of Urgothoa, and they yeah. were the four. Daughters of Ergothoa that were in Gallowspire. Yep. That turn out to be fought. the handmaidens of Arasni. Mm-hmm. So I am not sure what they were doing there because they weren't stopping the knights who are supposed I, to bring yeah. her home. But well, they I mean, if they're made it maybe sound they were there to support her. Yeah, I don't think they were there to keep her in in a state of escaping. But I don't think they were nece- I don't think they were tasked with bringing her home. Does that make sense? But they, yeah. it, it's still, it's vague whether the relationship is. But yeah. uh, Valbar, Fiddlestitch, 
And by the way, I Goblin. I liked how it was multiple voices. They they did it right. so there were multiple voices all speaking at once. So we kind of got I got a and feeling that there even, were four even, of them. But it's not even like they were they were speaking at once, but it wasn't like they were all speaking exactly at the same time too. Like I think Matt did a bunch of like little delays and different effects because they had different pitches for the voice and they were just yes. slightly off. It was it was, was good. It was I liked it. So good. I really really liked it. It gave a feel that they were all speaking mm-hmm. as one hive and, mind. Yes, yes, <laughs> but that was not. It was like that was not the the sort of the image, right? It mm-hmm. was. It was pretty cool. I liked it. So he says his thing. I'm here to go after be- you know revenge for our our dead queen. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, it's cool. Not a, not a whole lot of of. It's 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 a. I hesitate to say it's not a lot of character building because it kind of gives a some insight into to Valbar's past, I guess. But we've only he's only been around for ten episodes, something like that. Yeah, it's I, I'm not as invested in him, not yet as as a thing. Well, I, not that I don't like him, I'm just not I'm not right. as invested in him as say you know Rogar, Rogar or Elksy <laughs> or you know Thalias or even oh. Uhtred, right? Trying to even think of characters that have been around for a while. What about that uh, that one monk? <laughs> that one monk, yeah, whoever he was. <laughs> I don't or who was the guy with the 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 red colored cover, the red um, cap, the uh, the what was that? I, I forget that guy's name. The the maroon marauder. Yeah, that's right, maroon marauder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then we Man's go to our genius. So mad at us. I know he's gonna kill us. He's gonna kill us. Then I believe we go to our genius. And yep. uh, uh, I'm going to apologize to everyone listening if I we're getting it, we got somebody out of order. But then our genus has his, which is uh, a big shock. I didn't realize. I thought the pale gal was undead. I didn't realize she was a daughter of Ergothoa, and I didn't realize right. she was in service to Tarbath Fawn. I I don't think she's in service. I think their goal is just a line, and they're working together. Well, then. My question she would, made it se- what she about made the it other four like- daughters of Ergothoa that were with Erasne who dile- directly attacked? So then it's like, and they de- they described themselves, they self-described themselves as her friends. Right. right? But they're more like working with Geb and 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 that undead. Right. Whereas so this there's, one yeah. might have actually been working with Ergothoa more than, and, and. Well, but what in order to be directly in order to be a daughter of Ergothoa, you have to be working pretty much along Ergothoa's plan. Now, I maybe get it. You could have Ergothoa has different. The left hand and the right hand could both be doing separate things all to some bigger machination. But still, it seems weird that they're on both sides, which then kind of makes me wonder. Uh, I don't think it's weird that she plays both sides. Well, I just, it's just weird that they're on both sides. To me, it's weird. Because it seems yeah. like, you know, if Tarbafon's vying for godhood so he can, you know, step up and smack the gods around, which, you know, sounds like that's his plan because mm-hmm. he's better than they are. So I was like, oh, man. So I don't know. I don't, I don't but yeah, know. it was I, a I, neat exchange there. And uh, Arginus got under her skin, which apparently was a new trick that Arginus had never done before. Yep, that was cool. So that was cool, yeah. And so, and then I think perhaps a preview of things to come because she says, "I hope you all come right. and show up." Because I'd hate, you know, I'd I'd hate it if I couldn't get the whole set. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, so, so I I get the feeling that's a preview. She'll be back. A preview. Yeah, yeah she'll be back. Definitely, definitely helps. Like it. 
So let me do the mental math. We started with. That's the word I was. Ah, uh, Utrid Bell. Okay. So then that leaves. Thelias. 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 And I'm going to say this, and I much love to Joe, but I fucking hate Thelias now. He has just <laughs> slid right into the biggest pile of poop. I just can't believe it. <laughs> oh, I messed up, Elksy. I've made oh, lots yeah. of mistakes, and you're just one of them. You're not important enough for me to, you know, have a standout or have special feelings just for you even though i called to my god and you know you got sent to me you're just one of my many mistakes i'm god mother dog i I mean it was great role play no no it was it was great role playing and and he definitely hit you know uh, uh, a trope or uh you know a character type that we've seen before that is is there in you know books and movies and all that stuff so i mean great effort on joe's part personally but man i hate that butt weasel thelias god (laughs) and even it was happening i'm going god i'm hating this guy oh man god i want this guy dead (laughs) good news he already is (laughs) yeah yeah it's not helping me but uh yeah no it was uh that was a a bittersweet moment for me Mm -hmm. because he he really Kind of minimized Elksy and all of her. Yes. Suffering. Yeah. Minimized her in every way. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about her. Well, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm more concerned about Randolph, this guy that I, you know, kept my spirit connected to him, who I yeah. didn't know at all and, and yeah. never really knew. And then I took his body and squashed his spirit. And uh, yeah, I'm just like, ah, banging my head and going, God damn it. Delias is like a toxic boyfriend. he's a toxic boyfriend yeah yeah he is i was like god good riddance on that guy oh not not yet he's he's still here i know you know it it's funny he reminds me he really reminds me of uh and and i know that thelias is not planned this way and joe's not at least intentionally i don't believe doing it this way but he reminds me of like a an abuser right and he's but to me it's like uh and I'm going to take a brief digression. Uh, Marvel comics in the comics, they have Ant-Man and Wasp and Ant-Man and Wasp are, they get married, they get divorced back together. I mean, they have this history of doing this and in the comics before the, the recent era and everything, Ant-Man is abusive and it's uh, you know, it's like they were trying to bring up domestic violence in the comics and, but then, you know, not really address it. Uh, not really know what to do with it. They were just showing it, but uh, not really, you know, like this is realistic, but they're not really tackling it or fixing it or resolving it or anything. It just keeps going. So they did it realistically. Well, yes, <laughs> yes, I guess, you know, yeah, but, but it's, you know, for the time Sadly. when you look at it, when, the, when those themes come out in the comics, that's kind of how we as a society handled that stuff for the most part. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, Thelias, it, it reminds me of that. It's like this theme's totally come up. I'm I'm abusive. I'm toxic. And yeah, you're stuck with me. Oh well. And I'm gonna be there next time. Oh well. And it's like, oh but but good on Joe. I mean, and and it's outstanding role play without a doubt, but God, I wanted to throttle him. Yeah. You'd probably just take your body afterwards. That's right. That's right. You know, he'll just drop Randolph and take my body because, you know, he's a user that way and he moves on to the next thing he uses. 
Honestly, I expected Elksy to get a little more, you know, vicious about it, to be honest. Yeah, maybe that was just Alex not wanting to play it that way. Yeah, I mean... Which is possible. We can ask in the retrospective. Ooh, there we go. Why is the Lias so toxic? Um, But I guess we kind of... I guess they kind of each get, like, two segments in their little flashback before they're kind of pulled back to the... Oh, oh, no, no, no. Before that happens, they uh they end up getting this... Um, I loved this. I thought this was really cool. He puts their spirits kind of above their bodies, right? Yes. And they get to, they get to see, like, time and fate and, like, the whole fabric of reality from, like, the outside 4D perspective where they can see the past and the future and, and present, like, all at once. You know, they can see, like, little pockets of fate. And I'm just like, that's so fucking cool. And then they I dropped in a bunch that. of voices. Yeah. Flashbacks they they- to voices talking to them along the way. Mm-hmm. It was a, a wonderfully done yeah. audio. They, of- they even got uh, voices from all the way back in book one. They had McTana in there. They did. They did. They got Michelle to, to step in and say some stuff again. Loved it. I love, love, love. The cameo voices. More, 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 please. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was really fun. I, I really enjoyed that part. It was really... It, it was the, super neat. I mean, for me, I imagined it when, with the description. I imagined them above their bodies, but still in the horizontal-like position, <laughs> like they hadn't actually moved. But it was, it was as if they could see as if they were standing, you know, so right. they could see themselves from, and all that. Kind of that... Well, I don't know if everybody does, but I'll, I have... Uh, a, quite vivid dreams and um i often will have things where i can see but i shouldn't be able to based on the orientation of my body so i mean i to me that was reminiscent of that so i you know kind of gave it an internal spin that i thought was pretty cool that someone else was was building it that way yeah i think alex really nailed the the kind of 4d perspective that you could get like if you were in the fourth dimension because like the the comparison would be like us looking down at like a flat sheet of paper, right? If you were on the paper, you know, and you were inside a square, all you would see is the lines, right? You wouldn't see anything outside of it. But from our perspective, you can see everything outside that. And so like if you go up one dimension higher, you can see the third dimension where we are in like its entirety, which I thought Alex captured really well. Yeah, no, I... It was it was super slick in my opinion. I mean, I it was a great description, mm-hmm. and I liked all the little all the threads. all the little parts about it that made it that next dimension, whatever that mm-hmm. was. And then it was here's what they can here's what they get in that dimension. You get that you get to see everything in 3D, but also here's you know this other thing, and so you could visualize something. Right. I'm assuming everybody you know saw it differently or will see it differently. Right. But it was it was super super smooth, super clean, and still you know right on and just kind of genius. It was it was a sweet moment. Yeah, and at the end of it, they kind of you know they get they it kind of all goes backwards, and they start getting less and less of it until finally they just you know do that jump scare where they sit up in their own bodies. <laughs> right, right. That was slick. In the dirt. In the dirt. They're, they're right. in the dirt. Not buried, but you know. Oh well, you can't so have I'm everything. Sure someone, I'm sure someone was standing off. To the side with Elias's shovel, just ready to bury them. <laughs> you know, it's but, funny. Uh, uh, Matt always has uh, Valbar sitting up like the Undertaker, mm-hmm. and uh, 
I forget, I forget which wrestler did it, but one of the wrestlers thumped the Undertaker and then stuffed him in his own body bag. Because <laughs> that was the Undertaker's shtick, because he'd beat you and then put you in a body bag. And oh, uh, so they put him in his own body bag, and he sits up the way he sits up, but he's in his body bag. Because the guy leaves him in the ring and wa- goes, you know, walks off. And then all of a sudden, the body bag sits up, you know. Oh, man. For, yeah, well, I, for some reason, when Valbar said, uh, you know, uh, sorry, Matt says that, I, I imagine Valbar doing that, but in the body bag. I don't know why in the body bag, but it's always in the body bag. I mean, you know, you can tell it's him. You know, you can see the horns or something, but it's it's always in the body yeah. bag. Huh. Interesting. I just like the, uh, you know, the, the thought of them, like, just suddenly eyes awake, sitting up, jump scaring everybody. <laughs> but, yeah, they, uh, the, the seeds they planted sprouted and they have brand new uh trees i guess technically they have four trees did he say how many sprouts i thought yeah they... i think each seed sprouted okay okay so so it was according to the guys yeah i that i'm gonna be honest didn't quite understand why there were four as opposed to just one yeah. uh but you know whatever maybe they're gonna maybe they'll plant them side by side and they'll grow into one big tree i don't know I don't yeah. know how plants work. I don't. I just I, know well, what plants crave: love and affection. <laughs> they can't live without your love and affection, like Nelson Brando. Oh, okay. Brando. It's it's got what plants plants crave. Got it. Got it. Electrolytes. Electrolytes. <laughs> That's right. Oh God. <laughs> so you do oh, remember God. idiocracy. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> it's, it's got what plants <sighs> crave. It's got what plants crave. <laughs> Let's go to Starbucks. <laughs> That's what we should name this. That's what we should title this one. It's got what plants crave. <sighs> well, wouldn't it be salt? It's got what plants crave. Electrolytes are salts. <laughs> yep, yep. yep. <laughs> oh, my God. That movie. But yeah. I, I watched it the first time, right? And, like, I didn't understand it was supposed to be satire. I didn't understand it. it was supposed to be making fun of these things i thought they were just like making a movie like i i don't know i was young and i didn't get movies sometimes but i I watched it again more recently and i'm like oh this makes a lot more sense well the thing to me about that movie that that i remember the most and i i i liked how it was so dopey and i i knew it was supposed to be satirical right but when they used all everything they used like you know you're a fag and then yeah. it's like the, the gay community hit him with it. And they said, no, 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 no. The, when people that say this are really stupid, that's the point of, of using this. Uh-huh. We hear you. Don't use it. Yeah. But, but this is showing how stupid it is. It's making fun of those people. Uh-huh. Don't care. Don't use it. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I don't think you understand what they're doing. I mean, I really don't. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... I don't know. There was just so much, so much I thought cool in that movie about how, you know, an average person gets teleported forward in time and he's a genius compared to <laughs> everyone else because of the way it, the world's going. And I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, but it was it funny movie. Funny movie. <laughs> Enjoyed the hell out of it. After that, we get a party. We do get uh, a party. A party that apparently can last as long as the guys just stick around. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 a big deal. Well, like like Nick pointed out, you've been a hundred years without porn, and now it's back. 
I think he said internet, not porn. No, no. Alex said it's like you've been without the internet for 100 years and now it's back. And then Nick goes, everyone's got their porn back. Oh, right. <laughs> right. He did. <laughs> I just remembered the internet comment. And, and let me just say, folks, the internet and porn go together. And if you've ever I mean, doubted that, look into the history whole, of the internet. There's a whole song about it. There is a whole song about it. But I, what I'm saying is, is that the actual history of the internet was it connected universities and military bases for research purposes. Mm-hmm. So the guys operating the computers at universities and military bases are not the professors and the, and the you know, high ranking officers. They're the privates and the frat boys. <laughs> so, yeah, porn's been there since the beginning. It's good to know. That's right. History, according to Richter. <laughs> Do I need to put a little in there? Yeah, Richter's <laughs> histories. He ain't drunk, but boy, it sucks. Um, <laughs> You're really selling it. I know, I know, I know. I need to stop. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I thought it was funny. It's like Alex seemed to imply that this party would go on as literally as long as they stayed there. And I just, I, I, <laughs> if they weren't under a time crunch, right, I would be tempted to see just how long they'd be willing to continue partying. <laughs> It's like, no, we stay another week. Let's yeah, stay we stay another, another week. week. Is it still partying? Yeah, I here six months. <laughs> I I imagine now maybe this is me <laughs> putting an artificial <laughs> limit on it. <laughs> I Sorry, imagine I just of something. Oh no, go ahead, share. Have you ever seen Futurama? I'm sure you have, right? Yes, I have. Slurms McKenzie. He's contractually obligated to party. He's the slug that is on the the slurm bottles that's fried drinks. Oh, okay, okay. But he's contractually obligated to party at all times. And so at one point he takes his glasses off. He's like, I'm tired. I'm so tired. And then he just goes back to party. <laughs> and so I was thinking like, if they, <laughs> if they continue partying while they're, while they're still there, eventually the citizens would be like him and just be like, I'm so tired of partying. I'm Make so tired. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> cake stand, cake stand. Sorry. <laughs> It just made me laugh. No, that's that is funny. Yeah, I I imagine that that and again, like I said, this might be an artificial limit that there was some sort of cap on it, and that Alex wasn't anticipating that the guys were going to stay more than a a few days. Oh right, right. I just but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a party to end all parties for sure. I mean, and it should be. It's I mean they got their they got the Camaro tree back, and as that baby grows, they'll get back all the you know, technology and, and other stuff that they have, you know, had to this point lost. Right. So, and then, uh, we got our goodbyes with, with Mariana and, uh, I'm going to say this, there was a slight missed opportunity here because, you know, now be a good boy and don't teleport into any more kitchens, our genus. Oh, I won't <laughs> stop, but only because I respect you or out of respect. That's my special little boy. I wish to God that the daughter of Ergothoa that had been using our genus had said, there's my special little boy. So that when Mariana <laughs> drops that look and that response, you know, it's just a double pop pop to uh, our genus there in the episode. But, <laughs> you know, so it's a, it's a small thing. Trivial, trivial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that Valbar's like not into hugging. Into the partying at all. No, yeah. no, not even the partying. The partying pisses him off because he wants to get on his way already. Yeah. Because, uh, you know whatever but 
They also do like a little bit of shopping, which I guess they're going to do off screen. Yes, because apparently the docks have recovered. Buy. Yeah. Until our genus started launching lightning bolts and fireballs, which, yeah. you know, he never you said know. were in a safe direction. Alex True. said, I assume they're in a safe direction. And our genus never <laughs> answered. Are, are spells, do spells have gravity on them? Like if you, because if you fire a bullet in the air, it comes back down. If you launch a no, they don't, in the air. No, they don't have, no? they don't have gravity now. Lame. Now, if you happen to catch a bird in that fireball and incinerate it, that incinerated remains would fall to the ground, which could be on fire and could ignite something else. Okay, okay. I mean, just to help you out there. <laughs> I suppose the same just, thing could happen if you electrocuted it hard enough, it could burst into flame. This, this is true. I, I was just imagining, you know, launching multiple fireballs up into the air and they just start arcing and <laughs> raining down in the city. <laughs> that would, well, on the docks. The guy's on corrected. The, on, on the, the docks. docks on the docks, specifically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just got our economy back. Life's, oh, dear God. <laughs> there go the docks again. <laughs> but yeah. I think uh, they end the episode with them teleporting out. Yes. They teleport out to. Valunus, yes, the, in last the opposite wall. side of last wall. Then they started in. Yep, and then to meet up with Ebony mm. and Luna. Last episode, Uhtred got a. Uh, I'm going to assume it was a sending, or maybe it's a message. But he received a sending. Uh, sending. Yeah, I think I think so. I think sending is the more powerful of the two. I th- I believe that is correct. Yes, I believe, but I'm not 100. percent In a thing um, called love. I'm not 100% in the thing called love, or I believe in love. No, I believe in a thing called love. I believe a thing called love. Just uh, listen to the rhythm of my heart. Oh, uh, because you're never going to give me up what? or let me down. <laughs> never going to run around and deceive you. <laughs> I think we're doing two different songs here. <laughs> I'm rolling you. I don't know what you're doing. I believe in a thing called love. Just listen to the rhythm of my heart. I don't know how the rest of the song goes. I just know that part. That's anyway, all right. That's fair. Uh, we can move on <laughs> to the end um, of the episode, I guess. Yeah, so <laughs> there they are. They arrive, and we'll see you next book. Yes. Oh, Not everybody leveled up, so we'll be we'll get to hear those when we return and start book six after the retrospective. So that'll be fun. So yes, end of book five. One more book. I guess uh, we can start speculating on what they're going to play next. We could speculate. <laughs> I think I'm going to leave that to the chat for right now. Yeah. We've still got an AP to finish. That's true. We'll do it closer to the end of book six then. Sounds good. In fact, we why don't we do a specific segment where we uh, we can go over that? <laughs> so you heard it here first. We'll, we'll, in fact, we can invite some people from the chat and we can have a, a, a whole session to hash out what they're playing next. <laughs> In a completely non-binding and uh, you know non-legal way, of course. Uh, no, we can. De- no, I think we're going to decide what they're going to play next. We're that's what I thought I said. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. telling you, you're playing this. Damn it! <laughs> what you're you didn't follow? <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that uh, I guess that kind of wraps up book five. Did you have anything else? No, I'm just I'm excited. I love that we've uh, been in Rossler's tomb. You know, five for five so far in the AP. I look forward to <laughs> to uh, book six featuring, yet again, Rossler's Tomb. Oh, 
I, we have to go six for six. We have to do it. At this point, he has to. He has yeah. to. Uh, I guess we're here this week on the uh, final episode of Book 5 with both Zeno and Alex, which I, I assume this will be a very interesting conversation, this considering is, how some of the chats have gone. This is all just a big <laughs> misunderstanding. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, but we'll see about that. It's huge, folks. Uh, a huge well. misunderstanding. We haven't actually been playing through Tyrant's Grasp. Yeah. Wow. It's been called it's giant been, uh, clerical error. That's right. Wait, are you telling me we've been in a mindscape this entire time? No, it's Players been Mummy's Mask. We just didn't realize it. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Still under my, my attorney is shaking his head right now, so we should <laughs> yeah. probably just move on. Tarbafon is okay. not allowed to practice law in this podcast. Which is why he's not saying uh, anything right now. This is fair. Why don't we start with... I, I see you've said you've had a, a list or uh, something yeah. to that effect. Yeah, no. Well, I mean... How'd you guys feel about this episode? We got to see some familiar faces, some faces we didn't see. True, true. I did. I did enjoy the all of the flash sidewayses because they're not really flashbacks. Uh, one might call them astral dreams. Hmm. That's a good. That's a good name for it. I hadn't thought of that. Infinite possibilities, things of that nature. Well, considering they they stumble into the fourth dimension at one point, that's very apt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. You know, we got to give it to Richter. You got to see his uh, good old uh, Elksy, fresh from being <laughs> burgerfied. Indeed. <laughs> yes. Indeed. I got to tip my hat to you, Alex. She... I'm really appreciative of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been something Happy I've been waiting help. on for a while. Yep. <laughs> I had a alternative idea regarding Elksy that would have been like its own sort of like cutscene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying that it might not still happen, so I won't give any info about that, but mm-hmm. I did like, I, I like the idea of addressing Elksy at least once before we got to the end of the campaign, and at first it felt like, I feel like I'm being too hard on Joe right now, having no. having Elksy show up and just be an absolute bitch. No, um, okay, here's the thing, it was very merited for everything that went down. Yeah, that's right. ultimately why I decided, no, I think it's worth it. But here's the other thing, yeah. it was so and the though. other reason why I want to thank you, because it cements to me the storyline that I think Joe might be exemplifying okay. within Thelias and Randolph. And I really do think that it provides a very good through line for everything that Tyrant's Grasp is as the survival horror game that it's supposed to be. You see, Richter, I don't think that Uhtred is this campaign's Devoth. I think it's Thelias <laughs> still. As it was said back in book one, Thelias <laughs> and Randolph have been the one continuous thread, the heartbeat of Lastwall, a nation of failures, written through <laughs> history, and they've only ever been picked up by extraordinary individuals that far surpass the ken of normal mortals. And what do we have? A guy who keeps coming back, death after death. And while he himself has been a failure in the past, a mere mortal like anyone else, he continues to pick himself up through better or worse to continue that fight. And yeah, he's fucked up a lot, but he still has his heart. Can't say the same about Uhtred. He's kind of gotten a bit too hardened as of recent. And honestly, his actions through book four to book five, I think, have 
maybe even pulled him away from his faith of Saren Ray. Alex made the joke before when he picked up the Sunstriker feet at 11th level. That's a mighty lot of worshiping you're doing. You pray doubly for it, right? <laughs> Saren Ray is a goddess of redemption and somebody who would give second chances to just about anyone. To see evil people become better. And we saw none of that in book five. It's the, <laughs> this is my job. This is what has to happen. This is for the greater good of people, the greater good of the society, this, that, and the next thing. But can't even extend a hand for some possible redemption. I'm just saying, Alex, you might need to take the feet away from him because it uh, you know, needs a worshiper <laughs> of Saren Ray. And I don't think he's got that cut for it. But you know who does? Randolph did. And that same beating heart is what's powered Belias. Because back when you started book four, before you parted on the boat, Randolph had a conversation with Dondon, a known evil individual. Give him a pep talk about what he could do for the people. And Dondon didn't really want to become the next uh, Yando, but I think we need to see uh, Dondon come back when we see the last wall survivors. Because you gave him a hero point for that touching moment. That moment of redemption that, you know what? Uhtred should probably have exemplified. Just saying. That was very well said. <laughs> he comes with receipts. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know he's got the references. All I'm going to say, and I'm going to stick to my guns, Thelias has become the, the, the character I hate now and loathe. Why? Because he just, you know, I, I, Elksy, the thing I, you know, the, I was a paladin and bonded to you by my God. So this is a gift from his God. This is all this important bonding. And he's supposed to be about the bonds with Randolph and everything else and blah, blah, blah. And then he just forgets about it. And here's my thing with that. And is so I think that through the trauma and through the experiences that he's had as like ectoplasmic Thelias when he was still kind of that spiritualist sidekick and that uh, kind of abusive relationship he had with Randolph for a little bit there until it kind of came back to being that bromance. That loss of memories, the time spent away from being a living person kind of broke some things for Thelias, you know? I, I feel that in that transition from... Life to undeath, undeath to this new, weird, pseudo-in-between life and death as the, you know, medium he is, has kind of made it hard for him to keep those in focus. If Randolph was supposed to be a crazy person, I think that he's inherited a sliver of those aspects from his, you know, for all intents and purposes, body buddy at this point. And he's acknowledged the fact that he's fucked up. He's acknowledged the fact that he is not perfect by any standards and he is remorseful about it sure he feels Uhtred bad that care. he got caught screwing up i Everybody feel bad does. when i get caught too <laughs> i think there's a difference though between being upset that you got caught and genuine remorse for the thing that you did mm -hmm. and i i don't look i'm gonna i'm gonna be real honest here and and i'm gonna go a couple ways one i want to absolutely be sh positive on I love Joe's role play on this. I, I, he's done a wonderful job. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is a real, a very real character, a, a very relatable, a very fallible. It's fantastic. Doesn't change the fact that he is bad news 
and needs to be cut <laughs> like from the from the relationship because he's he's just bad and he's going to ruin it and it's going to suck. And it's not just how he treated Elksy in his moment of quote unquote remorse. It's also, you know, he took Randolph's body and, you know, there was not even a moment's hesitation to try and do something with Ghost Randolph, you know, to, I don't know, capture him, do something. I, I don't, I, I don't know what the spells are on the spell sheet. It may not have at all been an option, but didn't even waste a moment trying to think about that. No, it was just fry his butt because I need the body. And, and see, I'm going to counter you there. I remember Joe making those comments. Throughout book five, there has been this lingering relationship between Belias and Randolph. And Belias has on numerous occasions thought about Randolph and, like, felt so bad about, like, the circumstances and just wants to, like, bring him back to rekindle this, like, brotherhood that they had. And also just to, you know, seem to do right by him, at least in what way he can. Because he, like, he's acknowledged on several occasions that this isn't his. Like, he, he's kind of being a bit of a pretender, but, like, he still wants to do right by that. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of the grievances that Richter just listed are all are all actions that either were kind of done without any... Uh, what's the word like they were just kind of reactionary things that happened like it's i don't see thalias's spirit just kind of waiting for his moment to take over randolph's body uh it just kind of it happened happened because thalias's spirit just has that tenacity that randolph's didn't and when randolph's spirit left to the great beyond thalias's spirit yet remained and had that that fire in it to fight the fight and that's what just kind of glued him to randolph's body not because he wanted to like take something from randolph but just because it it was just like a force of nature that he happened to be a part of and then when he was fighting the ghost like exactly what options would you have employed to try to spare Randolph's spirit. Like, that's not really a situation where you're like, hold on a second, let's let's try the other obvious option. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but they had Keisha Keisha's lantern staff, right? Yeah. No, they left it. Well, I mean, they did have it at the time. They, they left it as the grave marker, though. Well, at the time that they encountered Ra- uh, Randolph's ghost, uh, Keisha Keisha was still yet living. Uh, what, you know, Richter is kind of implying is, you know... I'm not that... implying, I'm flat saying you had the tool to yeah. capture the monster in the you... lantern, and then you could have done something with it. Done what with it? I don't know, but you would have had it. You'd have had his spirit, so you could have, I don't know, tried to find him a body. I, there's, there's options the open is, there. The problem is, is that... You don't have a full divine caster available at that time. And even with the Hierophant, I'm not sure that Thalias would have the wherewithal to understand, you know, how to use the higher level magics at that time. Well, that's fine. But the the thing is, it's not a limitation of the players because they, throughout this entire AP, have encountered other... NPCs that have had powers and abilities. And I know at least one of them 
knows, you know, some of those guys like, uh, I don't know, uh, what's his name? Bumble, Humble, Trumble, and his Humble buddy Poot. Oh, yeah, Humble that's right. Humble and Thoot. Yes. Uh, here's here's the quick thing, though. So, uh, I don't think any of the party has dimensional travel to go to different planes. Because and in also, order to do that, you again, need key to again, do that. true. But the point you're, is... You're, you're going, he didn't do everything perfectly and make all of the right decisions and is therefore irredeemable. That, no, I that feel is like not that's, what I, that's, that's not what I said. What I said was he, they the didn't ability use Kishi was there yeah, and, and they didn't take it advantage of it. And they yeah, also, they didn't think of it. That doesn't mean well, that that's there was the thing. malice they didn't behind think. it. Yeah, they didn't it, was a, it was a really weird and stressful situation. Like... I feel like you're you're creating blame for something that someone from an outside outsider's uh, perception is obvious where someone in that situation isn't always going to be like, oh, well, let me just thumb through all of my all of my options that like everything that's available to me. Oh, well, obviously we do this. That's not the way it always works. And failing to come up with the one thing that will get you halfway to an actual solution makes you a bad person. I mean, to be fair, I would look at it this way. Kishikish, as a individual of Phrasma's realm to a certain degree, the Dead Roads are tangential to it, would probably have still wanted to send you know, that soul back to where it belongs, back to the natural order of life and death. And the only way to really do that sufficiently is to do what they did, to kill him and send him on his way. Because here's the thing, even if they wanted to bring him back, they would have to have had left Gallowspire entirely and gotten to a caster that would have been able to do it. And it's honestly easier to probably resurrect somebody in a town far away from Gallowspire than to try to perform the rite itself there. Beyond yeah. that, I don't and think that Randolph ever actually had an O-Ball. I think that Elias did. was his O-Ball. No, they both had an O-Ball. Darn, you gotta just kill my theories. <laughs> 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 Look, you bringing your facts to this yep. podcast. Sorry. Stand for that here. Because <laughs> no, Randolph... Did die in Roslar's coffer when it uh, when it was destroyed, and he went to the boneyard at the same time as the PCs. But the difference mm -hmm. is, he spent for the, all the time the PCs spent walking the dead roads and we going saw through the, the way stations. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was he was stuck up in a in a a weird prison cell, and then he got captured by by Pyrrha's mother. And mm -hmm. by the time he finally got out, we were in book two. Right. Darn. Well, there goes that portion of it. Uh, My sorry. point still stands that, uh, you know, Colossus I appreciate the, the symbolism. <laughs> yes. Yes. I do like that interpretation, though. I think that, yeah, it's going back to the comparison to the nation of Lastwell itself. Because, uh, like, this, the Tyrant's Grasp AP really does expose, like, this is a paladin founded nation mm -hmm. but there's all of this all of this darkness to its past like all these mistakes that were made road to hell paved with good intentions etc cetera, etc cetera. um that said there were still the genuinely exceptional people mm -hmm. that were worthy of the reputation that last wall held to the very end 
Right. Um, and despite his m- the mistakes that he made, uh, I think that Thalias you could like kind of hold Thalias under that light in terms of his uh, his tenacity, his willingness to do anything it takes to complete the mission. Uh, alternatively, you mentioned Uhtred, who was like seeming like he's like becoming like empty inside and all that. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's. He kind of fits the other side of that coin where he kind of represents that darkness in Last Wall where it's like, yes, you are the good guy, but holy shit, if only everybody knew. Right. That's why I loved the comparison that you tossed him with Roslar because it really does fit the bill. Yeah. Like, they both did great things for the nation on a macro level. But there are so many little micro things that could be held. I still think Rosslar is way shittier, but yes, Uhtred yes. is kind of slipping into this... I, I I wouldn't call it apathy, because he does care about seeing the mission to its end. He does care about making sure that people are safe. But I don't think the light that Saren Ray would bestow upon him as a champion of good intentions, of redemption, and things of that virtue necessarily mm. fits him anymore he's really acting more like a crusader of iomade than he is you know someone of the everlight you're not wrong about that and i honestly never really gave that side of it much uh much thought i just kind of now like, obviously like uh on a meta level the, that feat is so good it's very, and he very really good. wanted it. <laughs> Trust me, uh, I've done crazy things to validate meta character choices. Um, but like Saren Ray is, she's obviously not as famous for hating undead as like Phrasma is, but like she, Saren Ray has done some crusading herself. Oh, I know. She's got some cultists back in Kadir that need to answer for their crimes. Yeah, she, she like just. She nuked an entire city a long time ago, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Like, as a goddess, she's just like, nope, this city isn't allowed to be a city anymore, and it just wiped it off the map. So I kind of, I was just kind of using that as, mm-hmm. like, my connection to Saren Ray, uh, as far as Uhtred was concerned. But you bring up some good points that there are some, while there are some like corner case parallels that can be drawn between Uhtred and Saren Ray. It really doesn't represent uh, the Saren Ray faith. I think it'd just be interesting to see if uh, there might be some ramifications of that or otherwise. Not trying to steer the contents of book six at all, but... Of course, of course. I, and I, I'm sure we will be talking like alignments and stuff during the retrospective (laughs) but i'll just say that i have never been in a hurry to enforce my interpretation of alignments and role-playing and like the more mercurial stuff like that Mm -hmm. onto my players as the gm uh one of those things that I really love about second edition that kind of snips that like argument that happens all the time because it's fun to make jokes, but when you've got yeah. something a little closer like to edicts and anathemas, which give a little bit more loose guidelines of like, hey, don't do this stuff if you want to worship this god, but these are kind of the things that they do like, so these are encouraged. Hmm. Yeah, that's 
I yeah, I, I kind of try to just take a step back from that because like I do like alignments. Like mm-hmm. I do like like deity codes, whether they're for a paladin or not. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, kind of watering it down, like what they did in second edition blurring the lines a little bit like in a lot of ways that's a really good thing but i personally really like i guess as a player i really like the the alignment structure the mm-hmm. the deities and their like faith like do you belong in this faith or don't you um but i guess it does come into conflict when i'm the gm and i'm trying i'm trying to let my players role play how they want without really step it on their toes mm-hmm. um on occasion i have kind of stepped in and said like i really don't think that you're i don't think that you're playing to this alignment anymore like we need to change it but it's never been a fun conversation and i think that's why i just kind of uh i'll make some i'll make some passive aggressive jokes every once in a while right and see if they take the hint but uh yeah that's really kind of where I that's kind of where I reach the end of my comfort zone, I guess you could say. I, well, I totally hear you. Alignments are supposed to be broad, mm-hmm. overall, lifetime of the character kind of things. I mean, yes, you can get micro if you're in one of those epic, you know, moments. You know, choose between saving the basket of babies and, you know, terminating this evil that will kill millions. You know, that yeah. moment that's absolutely an alignment moment, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but you, you can don't break have it those down. every action you take. You're not supposed to have those every action you take. Sure. It's a guideline for how your character views the world. Mm-hmm. And if your char- if the character can say, hey, this is how I'm staying chaotic good or whatever the alignment is, this is how I'm, I'm towing that line, and they have a, a reasonable argument, then, you know, okay, then you're still doing that. But if, you know, you say, hey, you're not following it, and they go, you know, well, balloons and cotton candy, you can say, yep, you're not that alignment anymore. Because your argument is, wow, that is, what it was that? Those are the two most evil things I can think of. I know. I mean, absolutely. And that's why. All you have to do is add clowns in there. <laughs> but, you know. Clowns are lawful is... good. Oof. I don't know about that. <laughs> And as long as we all can agree that mimes are the worst thing in the world. I can't. My uh, Clowns are worse than mimes for me. Sorry. All right. Fair enough. Aren't mimes just an archetype of clown? <sighs> if you want to go there, then I'm behind you. We can say mimes are the worst thing in the world. All right, you then. Know, they are I'll clowns, it. and therefore it's all covered because clowns are the worst. So yeah, good. <laughs> I, would, I would label them as clowns. You've, I've, I, I've always kind of looked at it as you've got your broad alignment, and then there are alignment actions like you can take an mm-hmm. evil action you can take a good action and as a good aligned character making a single evil action isn't going to change your alignment um but i think taking enough evil actions even if you don't see it that way will shift your alignment absolutely like yeah. absolutely like, like if the you're thing- if you're a good aligned character and you're like this man like killed my father and he kidnapped my mother and i'm going to you know do whatever it takes to you know get get justice and the road to justice leaves uh, a wake of 
uh, you know, innocent people dead mm-hmm. and other wrongdoings. Like, even though you're still, uh, you've got your eye on your revenge, your justice, because this person wronged you and they deserve justice, mm-hmm. like, that you've become, at the very best, neutral, depending on, you know, the scope of of, of things. I, and, I agree. I, and, I, I agree. I the only thing I'd say about a single evil act is it depends on the single evil act. Because, I mean, if you sit down and plot out a murder mm-hmm. that's not the guy, you know, who's who's wronged you so and is openly evil, whatever, and you plot out a murder to take out somebody else because that puts you in that space, it's very possible that that single act could change your alignment. I think there's a few pillars so, yeah. to to, like... I mean, it, an evil action. It has to be. There's, it has to be taken on a case by case basis. Sure, I think is the way the it has to go. But but here's the thing, and this is where I like the fusion of still having the alignment chart, but also having those edicts and anathemas, because you can use those anathemas as guidelines to go. Here's your faith. Here's what you preach. The thing that you say that you value, and you are about to take an action that contradicts that very thing. In Uhtred's case, it is the denial of an opportunity to be repentant to a creature. The opportunity to be better. And I, that, I'm you with know, you. I, I it's like a case scenario, and anthemas as well. But mm-hmm. as just on the Game Master side of things, occasionally when it comes to circumstances where it's like you have a couple options to play through and the players want to walk down that road where maybe a action is questionable. Maybe what they're doing is going to inevitably hurt a lot of people. And they know this going ahead. It's that reaching across the table and going, based on where you've been and based on who the values that you say you hold, you know that those that follow those same precepts would see this as an act against that. Do you still want to continue? Yeah. And I, it's a little bit on that meta level. And I know you tried to do that with the Blue Gardens of Talil to a certain degree with Mariana through roleplay. And it's that, like, bonk on the head of, like, guys, you know, not everybody in this building is evil. You know, try to talk them out of it. <laughs> with the exception of Paldernane. Right. And Umbarno, I'm pretty sure not a single person in that building was evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just... Ugh. It is this, what it is. Dude, you know? if the evil, here's, here's an easy litmus test. If the evil character in your party says this is the right thing to do, <laughs> you probably might be committing an evil act. I mean, Tiamat is not the greatest moral I mean, compass to have listened to, that's for sure. Let's, let's go to <sighs> Jeff Foxworthy, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought we were cutting to Jeff Foxworthy. I, I was waiting for something. I know. I was I literally thought, waiting for I, I something. I thought Richter had a drop or something. I was like, oh, okay. So yeah. did I. If, if the, your evil elf friend tells you to go kill the people who are get, who you're giving a hard time to, and you listen to them, you might be evil. Yeah. There you go. There we go. All Perfect. Right. Thank you, you know, Jeff. <laughs> Richter, uh, we haven't talked about the other silent evil at the table. Uh-oh. What other silent evil? Go ahead, throw it out there. Hit me. I'm, I am, you know, I am along on your journey that it, 
this way. I, yes, I have things to say, <laughs> but I'm on your journey tonight. I am genuinely curious about the path of which our genist has walked from where he came from to where he's going. Because I think out of the PCs that we've been with for a decent extent of time... S- sorry, Matt, you, you're wearing a new skin. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've gotten a few flashbacks for our genus, and for a while there, it's been a little confusing as kind of where he stands. We heard of Linthari, I think, is the name that you dropped for us. Leanthari. Leanthari. We saw the whole Ergothoan eat torture, which I still absolutely love, even on Relisten. I play it, you know, more priest of Ergothoan my way of the Wicked game, so <laughs> I, I'm head over heels for it. And uh, I did, I did love how you. Tom resurrected it in Book Five. I'm gonna make sure that guy eats. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's the it's the curiosity of the relationship that's kind of been displayed through flashbacks and even in this most recent episode that you know it leads me to remember like we've seen a few bads that we haven't done anything with like book three's end well not ending but the interlude before the boys were shunted into the dreamscape the the mindscape. Uh, by Gildeus. We haven't really seen much hide nor hair, and he got a little glimpse in Alex's uh, astral dream sequence uh, for the guys this episode. Mm. I, I, I foresee some possible commanders for the armies our guys are going to have to take down at some point, because we know Tarvafon's doing something. But if our genus was trained by this woman, what are we going to see going forward? Because clearly they're antagonistic and he got under her skin this episode. But that sleeper agent, you know, vibe you were kicking before, Richter, like, never left my head. And I'm just like, but our genus has gotten this, like, bubbly, like, teenage high school girl attitude with so many people at this <laughs> point. That darkness is still there and we saw that in book five. But, like, what? Well... Our genus certainly is vapid like a teenage girl. I can give you that. <laughs> I mean, first it was, I'm in love with Erasne. Uh-huh. And, you know, now he can't even remember, you know, that Erasne starts with an A. So, yeah, no, I, I, I totally I totally see him uh, see him popping off at some point and, and going absolutely sideways. I, he loves his team. I, I could tell that much. But there's... There's so much that I don't know about our genus, and we haven't gotten a chance to fully dive into, but I I love where it came from, and it's clearly shown that, like, Uhtred and Thalias kind of uh, manifest themselves for Our genus will be what Jar Jar Binks was not allowed to be. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Our genus will be the Sith Lord. (laughs) That's what he will turn out to be. That Jar Jar was supposed to be. Alex. Get <laughs> <Sorry>. a high five. <laughs> I, I love this conversation so much, and I genuinely wish that I could stick around longer. But I hear you. I, uh, I, I have to bid you all good night. Zeno, I look forward to hearing the rest of your thoughts when uh, the episode releases. I hope they will be worthy of hearing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if if what you've been spitting so far is any indication, I think yes. You're very eloquent, sir, and uh, I, I love having you on. 
Thanks, buddy. You have yourself a good night. Thanks, you too. <laughs> night. I'll I'll leave you with a with a see uh, so you, uh, Toast can put it at, at the end of the episode. <laughs> okay. See ya. Later, Alex. Well, now that he's gone, now we can talk all the <laughs> shit. I didn't even get into the Alex uh, propaganda yet, so. <laughs> That said, no, Arginus has got me intrigued. Uh, mostly out of, like, I've noticed that there's been a split between the party, to a small degree. As you said in prior conversations, Richter, we've got a, like, dual story kind of going on. The history of Last Wall, and the mortals that are there to kind of bring its legacy, at least to the end of the story, where hopefully it will, you know, pass away in a blaze of glory. But we also have a Razni story, which seems to somewhat coincide with Geb and its involvement, and how we've got Matt's new character, uh, the Paint Gnome, and, uh, you know, Arginus. Because the Cult of Ergothoa has ties to Geb and to Tarbophon himself. So my wonderings is, is Lindari technically a Geb plant? Yeah, now see on that one, I don't think that she is. Because you have the four daughters of Urgothoa that were Erasne's, uh, I'm going to say handmaidens for a better, lack of a better term. That's accurate. And um, it just, I, I don't think they would be, uh, I don't think that Urgothoa would be letting these individuals that have to be vetted by her to become daughters of Urgothoa. I mean, you have to, mm-hmm. it's a gift directly from Urgothoa. That oh, she'd be letting that them pop up and then be at odds with each other because it seems like that wouldn't be working towards her plan because uh, in theory you know even as a divinity even as it might seem utterly chaotic and random to us you know it should have seems like it should have some kind of plan i mean there's uh Mm -hmm. very few uh deities that are just listed as nope they've got this goal and this is this utterly you know, however it happens, whenever it happens, is fine. As often as it happens, kind of thing. I'm trying to think of the guy uh, in in um, Galarian uh, that that's the the nihilist guy, the nihilist okay. god that just wants to destroy everything. Oh, that's uh, that's Saren Ray's uh, Rovagug. Yeah, Rovagug is one. There's, I thought, I thought I could have sworn there was another one too. Well, okay, so Rovagug is the one that is, you know, the great beast that wants to destroy Galerion in its entirety, yada yada. But Grotus is the one that is in parallel to Phrasma that sees the end days uh, and the madness of all things. Okay, okay, so then it's got to be Rovagug that I'm thinking of that just doesn't, you know, just however you want to blow it up. Like I don't, I don't, you know, he actually doesn't care if he has two separate guys plotting. And they're each plotting to plant a bomb and destroy something. And one of them wipes out the other one doing his mission when if they had timed it right, they could have both done something wonderful because he just, you know, has no care for any sort of order to his consumption of everything. Mm. Um, But I don't believe that Ergothoa is uh, constructed that way. I don't believe that's her. Ergothoa is all about carnal excess and all about living life to the fullest and even in undeath continuing that party forward. Uh, For Ergothoa, she has a few individuals that she is directly in aggression with. That's mostly Verasma, that's mostly Sarenrae and Iomade, 
And a couple of the other good deities, like, she's got a mixed relation with Callistria as they kind of, like, fight over followers. But for the most part, Urgothoa's big thing is just to take what she wants and enjoy everything to an uncomfortable degree. And when Mm. it comes to Leanthari, it's one of those things where I don't see what Tarbafan plans to do as something that would necessarily align in Urgothoa's full interest. While she might admire the audacity that Tarbophon has, uh, people that have been given her divine boon, uh, I feel like, you know, have to be incredibly stupid to think that, you know, Tarbophon's gonna have their best interest at heart, kind of what Artina said. But if she's working under the banner of Geb and trying to, uh, get a cutting edge against a possible enemy for the future, as Geb is known to war with Nex, another Archmage of their time. I don't think that Geb's necessarily going to want that competition in Tarbophon if he tries to become a deity. Especially because he's already tried to take Absalom himself. An agent of Geb could be an interesting mix-up for a uh, unique ally of convenience in Book 6. That could be a twist. It it could also be that I mean, it, it's an interesting twist. It could be a twist. I'm not picking that up from Lee and Thari. Oh, from no. The I... way she's interacting with Arginus, I'm mm-hmm. not picking up that as a possible twist. I mean, it could be that the goal was Lee and Thari was going to take Arginus and mold him into the sleeper agent of Geb or something. That might have been the bigger plan that fell apart. I, I don't know. So maybe, you know, the fact that he's come that far uh, has actually you know turn to her advantage somehow mm-hmm. um but i'm just I, i'm not getting enough feedback to uh to say i'm buying this or i'm seeing this it not that you you couldn't make that case i mean i i i see that case that's um fair. but i'm just i'm just not i'm not getting the feedback that makes me say yes this is the conspiracy theory that goes forward <laughs> Yeah, it's not radical enough for you. I hear you. I, it, it's not that it's not radical enough. I've I've been wondering about the connection and the interference from Geb, um, not Erasni. Erasni makes total sense mm-hmm. to to act and think, but the fact that Geb has sent agents and those agents have actively stomped Tarbathon's uh, minions, and not you know not as low level grunts. Nobody cares about those guys. But, you know, some of the bigger, some of the bigger fish have been cut down mm-hmm. because the agents of Geb said, yeah, we want you out of our way. I mean, so, I mean, I, I, I've never quite understood what Geb's goal has been. That's why I, I postulated that his, his play was to when, you know, Tarbafon's about to go over the tipping point, you know, he shows up and ting and says, see, I helped, <laughs> you know? I help the world, and I keep my undead contained in here. See how wonderful we are? And that's why I think Leanthari could be one of those agents. Yeah. That I, I, I helped, because I don't think Geb himself is going to leave his nation for any reason, even if Tarbophon's out and about. I do genuinely think that's going to be left to the people who are still in charge, running Geb in the aftermath of Erasne, bailing on them. Yeah, I... Uh, I... I, I hear you. It there's a lot of things that point to it. I I'm just not picking that up from Leanthari. It That's just fine. she seems more 
after what you said about Urgothoa, she seems like she personifies Urgothoa more mm-hmm. because she seems to be grabbing it rather than the, the handmaidens mm-hmm. uh, in, in seeing those. Uh, at least what, you know, how, how the way Alex has fleshed them out. Those were definitely servants in, you know, capacity to Horazni and forced into that position from what it seems yeah, I, like. I don't know about force, but they definitely, the the main point was they, they weren't opposed to it and they were obviously enjoying it because they mm. were staying there. Right. Uh, I, I presume that they were not dominated by Geb. Because that would take a lot of a lot of effort and energy to dominate all that stuff. Now maybe he's bound him in some way, kind of like the way he bound Eras. You know, he he has those bindings on Erasne. That's mm-hmm. entirely possible. I'm not seeing that with Leonthari, but and when I can't, I I again am still baffled is how she sees Tarbathon ascending because uh, that's his goal. That's where right. he's going. Right. I don't see how she, how Lee and Thari sees that as, oh yeah, and I'm going right to the top with him because I think he's gonna turn right around and go mm, liability. She even said herself that she deigns not to take the uh, role of consort or queen to that tyrant. So clearly, there's something about that relationship that she wants nothing to do with. Yeah, but I, why I, is she on the ride? I don't know. I don't, I, I, that I don't know. I mean, we've encountered others, um, that have been at, that are, are somewhat at odds with Tarbafon. Um, there was something about, uh, I think it was, was it Gildeus that grabbed Teoblith after Vigil? No. In the flashback? There was someone that grabbed Teoblith and said, hey, uh, you know, I don't know why you're funky. I'm going to hold on to you and do some more study. Yeah. of you before I talk to the boss cuz there then cuz now I know there's more of you. I I feel like that is another little notation that we might see some ramifications for in book 6, but I don't remember I didn't go back for that receipt in particular and it's mostly because of the fact that Tia Blith has long since perished. Uh, all right. Yeah, yeah, no, I I get that. I I just thought that was Gildeus. I don't remember. It might have been but However. that's another character that obviously was part of the Whispering Way and then mm-hmm. apparently opted to change his thinking or was remorseful or something. I mean, yeah, that was... was uh, I believe... No, I don't think so. That, there Don was did. mention of that at the seal, that he was trying to do something. He was staying by the seal trying to kill himself, I thought. I don't know if you're Before Tarbafon right? broke it, I... I I don't know. I, I, there was something about it in the, in the thing. I don't, it's fuzzy, but so, uh, you know, I think we've seen some other agents potentially that have had different agendas. So it could just be that it's convenient. Tarbafon's, you know, ranks offer, uh, power and, uh, you know, that pleasure to an uncomfortable level, um, for Lee and Thari. I mean, well, we'll see what happens. Or, we, we, we are yeah. spinning a little bit here. Uh, yeah, so yeah. let me, let, let me kind of move from that to a little bit of what we were talking about with the uh, handmaidens and Valbar's kind of dream that he uh, got to experience. As kind of our newest uh, face amongst the party, he uh, got lumped in with a bit of a Razzny story, but uh, Tiablith did leave us with the lungs of a Razzny still that Uhtred's got his hands on. Right. Feel like we still got to see something that goes on with that. 
got to see what Valbar in general does if he ever learns that information. It kind of feels like something that the you know players have kind of forgotten in the wake of all that's happened with this book since uh, Teoblith passed. Well, yeah, let's, let's be honest, though. This entire AP, our, our beloved players, or at least their characters, have forgotten tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tons <laughs> of stuff. But in this specific instance, like... I'm I'm counting on Alex to do what he does best and to utilize the like dangling threads in an interesting way cuz I'm sorry Alex loves Arasni too much to let that lie, you know? That that mm-hmm. is a prominent powerful artifact and it's yeah, something near years, you know? Like perhaps I I I'm I've been wondering about this AP for a while just mm-hmm. to see, you know, how it would, where it would go. And we have the climactic moment with Erasne in book four. We mm-hmm. have book five, which is kind of the off AP book, right? You like every said AP it, has I didn't have to. One book that just goes, woo, sideways. <laughs> Here's know. my thing. This... It, it's related, but it's it's sideways. It's off AP. Uh, hot and take, Richter. Go for it. Go for it. You and Alex are the only reason why this book is any good. <laughs> <laughs> book five is a jank book from mechanics to what they did with the NPCs and Zapotle as a whole. Like, Nessie was doomed to be a laughable, forgettable encounter with damn near no buildup for, like, anything outside of your crackpot theory. And hey, it was, it was all not crackpot. It was not crackpot. Paranoid. Look, look, delusional. Uh, yes, possibly. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I was wrong. You, you know, it turned <laughs> into something. You got acknowledged and congratulations. Uh, book five was like... All right, I, w- I want to I wanna clarify. Our players are fantastic at their role play. They have done a number of questionable things throughout book five. But overall... When we go through an adventure path, there's normally memorable encounters, uh, things that really stick out to you that on, like, completion, you're like, man, these were cool from this book. None of those moments came from anything the AP gave. It all came from the comedy and the enjoyable, like, banter between our players here. And just the hilarity that Richter got to have his confirmation that Nessie is real. <laughs> the Blue hey. Gardens, completely forgettable. The, like, town of Zapotle and Yoli's pen, and, and, like, everything that happened in this book could have literally happened almost anywhere else aside from the fact that it had a small background tie to Razni. But you could have changed the names on all of this, and it would have just been another location. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm with you there. It was, it was sad in that respect. Like because Alex... the the Arasni story was fantastic to get, but we didn't have to visit Zapotle for an entire book, or even Yolisban for an entire book to get that like feedback to get that little chunk of story, and we... it was. We could have gone to a research facility that she had back in the day and gotten all of this lore in a really cool way. We could have had whispering way agents 
getting to like the last pieces of this hidden mystery for the for, for the Kamaru and the Obal traces within the players. Like, no, you're could... you're abs you're you're absolutely hundred percent right. This was like I said, this was the this was the book that that went sideways, and you're like, why is this even in here? Uh huh. I mean, what is going on? I don't understand why we're that why we're here now compared to some other APs um, that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, the, the backstory with this is where Erasne comes from and you find out Aridin is just a dick, mm-hmm. you know, not just, I became a God and you know, my ways are not your ways, right. but no, no, he's, he's a, you know, steal your thunder, you know, uh, he's a typical high plagi- school chuck. plagiarist asshole, you know, he's, <laughs> he's terrible. So it's, but we, you know, the thing is we didn't need to go to Yolospawn to get that. There no. was nothing in that that made it. There were no we, we get one one or two agents of Tarbafon in this. I mean, I was I swear to you, I was a hundred percent expecting that Umbarno was going to be tied up in the whispering way somehow. Mm-hmm. No. Nope. I was a hundred percent a hundred percent expecting Mariana was gonna be tied up. And I I could see them both being tied up or just one of them being tied up, but somehow I said it's gotta link back to the whispering way. And some kind of power move by Tarbafon because otherwise, what the hell are we doing here? It's I mean, why is he book. wasting time on it? Well, that's just it. He wants to have a new nuke factory, but that could have literally been anywhere. They could have put that tree somewhere else that well, was a little I don't more think... connected. Like we could have gone to yeah, Ustalab the... and like looked at all the lore that you know was there for the Whispering Way and been like, ah, oh, man, you remember that really old tree that fucked with people and. It, it, yeah, I don't I don't know that the I know he wanted the nuke factory. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. The way they set up the Kamaro tree with it spent with all its energy, mm-hmm. that wasn't gonna make him the nuke factory. No, it was because wasn't. there was nothing they uncovered that was going to revitalize the Kamaro tree or an explanation of how sacrificing souls to it, which is not what the people tied up to the tree ended up being for. Mm-hmm was going to somehow turn it into a negative Kumaru, if you will, that was going to somehow then be useful as a new nuke factory but here's or the as time. a nuke factory. But so it really was, I don't know what the hell he was doing there with it. But here's the counter. He doesn't have that information. You have to investigate that in the first place. He's only recently gotten out. And I'm sure right, well, that having Nessie come over and inspect that, Tarbafon always thinks he knows better than the most premier individuals on the planet. He is, right, in right. his mind, he is the cutting edge of magecraft. So to him, but here's, in here's my counter that, counter. Here's my counter counter to, to yours, which is greater kitchen port. Yeah. I mean, if our genus knows it, it yeah. then Tarbafon knows it. For sure. Well, here's the thing. He doesn't have greater so, kitchen port. He mastered that spell and moved on to greater bathroom port. Well, whatever. I mean, you know, <laughs> they got to have those in the temple of the Kumaro tree because they got they got people in there. Uh huh. And you know, you would never expect an undead to be locked up in the, you know, in the bathroom I, in the water closet. I hear you. I hear you. But again, it's one of those things where the encounters here I barely remember. Whereas, like, Gallowspire is so, like, distinctly in my mind. And honestly, on 
like, recontextualizing it, I think book four was probably the best book in the entire AP so far. Even with the added, like, grief that Alex added onto it, it yeah, I, meant I, something. I, I would agree with that for the the aspect of its survival horror. I mean, for me, Gallowspire was uh, oppressive mm-hmm. and uh, tedious, mm-hmm. and it seemed to go on and on. Not that, again, not that any of the role player storytelling was was subpar in it. It was just it was a lot on the mark with the survival horror, and that is how it you know feels. Uh, I would um, argue that book four is what gave our genus definition. It is what contextualized him going through book five the way he has. Because if you look at his flashbacks and then compare and contrast them to those of the Grave Knights moving into this book, there's a lot of things that our genus tries to do to be normal, to uh, try to acclimate a little bit to society. His day job, for example. And just have human connection in a way that the rest of the party seems to forget. Even despite his very poor manners with Greater Kitchenport, Arginus has that beating heart and desire to have something more in his life. Even if now he is willing to, you know, throw that all away in order to save everyone. Okay. I'm not saying that I read it the same way you do. But I am going to jump on your train of thought here. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk down that path. If it is in fact like the Grave Knights, and he's going through an experience like the Grave Knights, somewhat accidentally, if you will, because um, nobody's actively driving him down that path like uh, Geb was. Anymore. I think that's what Lindar was doing. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear that. So not anymore, but he seems to still be heading, if he's still heading down that path, that he's, you know, going through that that suffering that's that's going to dehumanize him and disconnect him from humanity. He uh, He's just totally, totally screwed, and he's absolutely 100% going to turn on the party like a sleeper agent. That's, that's my thing, though, is I think he is currently at the precipice of either side. And hence why, from jump, when we met our genus, he has out-Randolphed in madness. Our genus is the literal wild card, and Tom is a whole of this entire AP. He has... And, and Joe's gone on record to say that he's been worried about what Tom's gonna do, because eventually it's going to get them all roped up in his absolutely off-the-wall choices in some way, shape, or form. They, they yeah, did I don't stand think... up to him, though. Oh, yes. They do. In, the, in this specific instance, they did. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I've been enjoying it extremely. But what I I'm don't saying, think Randolph was crazy, though. I just think Randolph had more than one person in his body. It's true. But the way that Joe was trying Our... to put it out there was that Randolph is not all there. No, but no, absolutely. This, it, the way the way he presented it, I think you could you could easily say he's crazy, and then you meet our genius and go, "Wow, he's crazier." Mm-hmm. But what, I think that you know belays the more nuanced approaches that that both Joe and Tom are taking to their characters. Mm-hmm. But it's in that nuance that I think that Tom is playing a man at a crossroads of choice. 
he is actively choosing to try to be a better person and to have human connection. But the things that he has been trained to do pull him into those darker seeds. And it is only going to take a little bit of temptation a little too far. And if his friends don't stop him, something bad might happen. I, I don't disagree with you. And, I, I, and I, I, would, I would say that something bad will happen. I'm hoping it doesn't. And I'm hoping that it's Thelias and Uhtred that genuinely bring him back to ground. Valbar. It's not going to be Thelias. Thelias has made nothing. I mean, come on. You, we, you talked about how many bad mistakes he's made. He's not going to suddenly get it right for our genus. It's book six. It's the final hour. Anything he's just, could happen, baby. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Quit quit channeling Tom right there. Um, <laughs> it was absolutely Tom. That was 100% Tom. Look, you I'm should just... be proud, Tom. I'm, I'm saying it right here. You should be proud. <laughs> I I um, am ex- I'm just I'm I'm happy to see what'll happen and you know I I I you're give I think you're giving Joe a little too much grief in terms of Elias and what he can and can't do I I think if any time is you know it to have all of the characters not just Elias really show us what this journey's done for them it's gonna be this book. Well, it has to be this book, because there's nothing left. Uh, I don't know, um, man. We got them side shots for uh, Skulls and Shackles, so... That's true. <laughs> Look, I'm not, I'm, not giving, I'm not giving Joe grief for, uh, for role-playing Thelias and for creating right. a very uh, believable character. This man I, has died multiple times, and you called it believable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, he's created a believable character. That's what I'm saying. Look, all I'm saying is okay. if Belias dies Everybody's again. all over it. I'm just saying, I hate this kind of person. <laughs> this kind of person is the kind of person you cut out of your life because they will suck the life out of you. They will take you to bad places. I think Toast did Toast. Didn't you say he's a he's an abuser in a relationship? Or you, there was something you meant you, you some phrase you used, and I was like, yeah, well, that okay, yeah, that's it. I didn't want to go there. No. But Toast took me there. If anything, that was Randolph. Randolph was the one that was being abusive to Thelias when he was a uh, spiritualist uh, companion. It was Randolph that was. Oh no no no! I yeah, Randolph was Randolph was uh, was the grumpy guy In... and didn't like sharing the space with uh, with Ecto Thelias. Uh huh. And um, in the flashbacks, I'm, we I'm had there. For him. In the flashbacks we had for Thelias, even when we uh, saw him training with Sito, like, Thelias was the one that took the high road. You know, Sito's the one that held that resentment. Thelias went on to well, basically become a didn't he take the again. high road? Because didn't he blame somebody for killing his parents? Didn't he say you were the one, you were supposed to be responsible, you're the one that did my parents in? Yeah, I, he wasn't I, responsible for that. Well, he wasn't responsible for killing his parents, but he laid that on somebody else pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, and, when somebody uh, is responsible for your parents dying, you kind of get some grief about that. Yeah, but as I thing. recall, as I recall the lay the the layout of it, it wasn't a direct responsibility. Like, you know, go take that cottage across the bridge and hold it to the last man if needed. Uh, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to hold the bridge. <laughs> And unfortunately, Thelias' parents live in that cottage. Oops. It wasn't one of those. It was more of a, 
doing their job and in the course of doing their job, things went bad. And then the bad part was Elias's parents became casualties because of that. And then Thelias blamed. So Thelias all along the way hasn't been real good about responsibility or I feel understanding like, in any way. I feel like that's a stretch and that that's an entirely reasonable reaction for anyone. I I didn't say he didn't create a believable character. That's he has. True. All things said. I think that what I'm looking forward to most is seeing what kind of cutscene we get for the beginning of book six. Because Alex has a very good tendency of sprinkling in so much in those cutscenes that we've been getting for the beginning of the books that I had to go back and re-listen to the beginning of book four uh, to get the context of what the guys had going on after Vigil fell and the last time we saw The Last Wall Survivors. And he basically mapped out the entire plotline with the Grave Knights in that singular scene and most of what we were going to be contending with going through book four. And if I remember correctly, a lot of what we got out of book five was very much the same. So I'm really, really curious as to what he's got in store for us for the beginning of book six. Uh, his cutscenes have been uh, phenomenal. I, I wish we'd had the same kind of thing in uh, Skull and Shackles. That, I mean, he, he did ugh. great flashbacks, but it would it would have been awesome to have had uh, cutscenes uh, for the books in uh, Skull and Shackles. Yeah, well, there might have yeah. been some, you know, forgotten characters throughout book five, like whatever happened to the luchador bard that, uh, you know, offered to help the party uh, that we're probably <laughs> never going to see again. And, uh, you know. Oh, that's right. They did fight a giant pig. Uh-huh. And some of the I totally uh, forgot about that again. Like yeah, the, I, don't, the, I don't even know what that was. The what pe- the hell was I don't that? Either the, what was it? Again, everything about book five, for the most part, is forgettable outside of what our guys did. Like Alex dressed it up as best he can, but you can't, you know, shine a turd too much. I I think MythBusters proved that wrong. I said too much. Oh, too much. Okay. <laughs> it's still a turd toast. You can make it glossy. <laughs> <laughs> often it comes out glossy if you do it right mm-hmm. either way like i had fun listening to this book but i think it's mostly due to community reaction how the guys themselves kind of enjoyed this vacation this step away from the survival horror but honestly i feel like book five was too easy and i know that we've gotten to like the rocket tag kind of thing and tia Blitz still died but like <sighs> I felt next to no real weight until we got the drop of, and at the end of this, you die. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't that you die. It's you are erased from existence. Yeah. Like that, that's the only, like, it's not just, point. it's not just you die. No, no, you're, you're really erased <laughs> from existence. Nessie was a proper challenge, but again, like what all do you guys remember from the blue gardens or the setup? Uh, little instances with the weirwood, uh, you know, soldiers that were attacking, you know, Yolis Band. Like, how much in depth uh, do you actually remember the, of half the things we did in this book? 
So I don't know. I think I remember for the, it well. For the, for the Werewood soldiers, you know what the, the thing I remember most is? Hmm. A very bad teleport roll. Yeah, yeah exactly. But that is a character <laughs> moment, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I just was like, yeah, that's... There was... Yeah, I, I seriously, I really, really wanted a stronger tie-in. I, you know, because I wanted, uh, you know, Umbarno or who was the other guy, the anti, uh, oh, uh, yeah. Was that his name? Uh, that yeah. was yeah. the, that was the outsider that was in that location. Yeah. Right. I keep yeah. forgetting uh, the site, the anti psychopomp. Yeah. That, yep. That's, that's yeah, yeah, the, the Sarah something or other. I wanted a better connection to, I, I mean, I was totally willing to take a whispering way, mm-hmm. you know, I was, totally willing to take that and we actually see a piece of it and it's in action and it's not and, and of course here so far removed from Tarbafon's uh you know direct reach this is where you could have these guys going oh Tarbafon will and you know have come up with like some crazy ideas about how they're going to be rewarded and he's not just going to go Shwoop, suck your soul you're done you right. loser thanks for the thanks for the help um you know, you could see some of that craziness. And that's what I expected Umbarno to be. Or, like I said, I expected it to be Mariana mm-hmm. in, in a twist where you got to take her out. And, you know, somehow in that, you resolve the, the tree and the flipping the O-balls and all that stuff. But I, something like that, a very direct thing I wanted. The overt, you know, Nessie taking over the temple was like, that's your only link? Uh-huh. That, you know, it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't enough to me. And so that made a lot of it very uh, disjointed. I just, I just want to walk it through, you know, in terms of like what we actually did in this book. We got to Yoli's Ben. We made contact right. with the locals. We had a couple, like in, do. we had a couple encounters where we dealt with some of the minor threats that were coming out of the Blue Gardens of Talil. Mostly, like, little flavor fights and things like that with Weirwoods. A interesting, new, never-seen, you know, enemy kind of thing. Constructs are mm-hmm. weird. Fine. But going from there, like, we spin our wheels a bit with some of the local shenanigans, but it really doesn't amount to much or anything that really comes up again later. We get consistently name-dropped for the Blue Gardens until we finally go there, which, I'm looking back, wasn't actually that many episodes. The lead up to the Blue Gardens was, was still shorter than the lead up to Gallows Fire. Yeah, I think yeah. it was like three episodes. It just it felt like longer because I think it was mentioned so many times in those episodes. Uh huh. We get to well, the Blue it Gardens. Was, let Let's be honest. It was Alex trying to say, uh, "That's where you need to go, guys. Uh, that's where you need to go, guys. Uh, guys, well, why aren't you going where you need to go?" Well, that's the thing, though. Is and they're like. They knew. Why am I going into that shithole? Th- I've got thing. salsa. This is the book that Alex felt like he was the most like having to push the players through things rather than letting them naturally just go, we go to the next place. Gallowsfire was like, all right, well, we've got plenty to explore. We know we're having to go to Gallowsfire. What's the next encounter we have to deal with? Like, you know, that it was relatively kind of go, go, go. It, even if it was a long slog in book four. But in this, it's like, all right, well, even when we get to the Blue Gardens, like, we have a, you know, small dungeon. Uh, 
But Blue Gardens even felt larger than Tumbaha Mountain in terms of content. It it really did. And Tumbaha, I, I was just, I was, was shocked at how how it it was like it was a small ring around like three rooms in the middle that were connected like vertically. I'm just like you drop down the from the top and there's the boss. Like it felt so weird to me to to, to just be like oh. We can go to like a couple of rooms, but the boss is right there. Uh huh. I just it, that. And you know, it's I'm, funny. I'm not used to to usually like you know later. I mean, I guess book four kept the Paizo tradition of a massive dungeon crawl. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just don't know what to do with book five. Well, here's the thing, though: is book five we still got several little uh, dungeons, so to speak. We still got little encounters everywhere. But the funniest right. portion is the Blue Gardens. Half of that probably could have just been dialogue and dice rolls for diplomacy to convince those that were there to stand down. It could have been breezed through much quicker. And if that's the case, like, and you only had Tumbaha Mountain left at the end, like, I'm really curious as to what the hell they filled the 50 pages that they normally allocate to the adventure for book five of Tyrant's Grass, because this felt like it was maybe only twenty pages. Yeah, it it I don't know. Like it, it it felt like they they were it was it felt like it was missing a lot of like substance. Like it's got a bunch of like little things, mm-hmm. but like the big meaty parts that I was expecting just didn't. <coughs> I I felt like yeah, it, it ate a nothing burger. Yeah, and, and like again. Alex and the players did a phenomenal job of, like, giving us rich character moments. Oh, yeah. But, like, the AP really didn't give much to work with, and if over half of that is, like, just a Resny backstory plot after she's already done her, you know, swan song for all things, you know, said, like... For all appearances. Right. I, I fully expect her to come back. I, again, I don't see Alex letting that, you know, be the last we see of her, but that's beside the point. Like, to the PCs, this is her legacy. This is this is the legacy of what Aerodin did, as you mentioned. Like, it's important. It's got cool lore. I just don't think we got much out of it. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel... Like, it's the culture of Zapotle and Julius Band, but it just... Like, I see set dressing, but it's all cardboard and little else <laughs> behind it. Wow, now who's being kind of harsh? I, I didn't. Yeah, that's, I, that's harsh on Paizo, though. Yeah. Not, not anything the guys are done. Nah, like, Alex, no, bro- no, no, I, Alex I came I into this, like, stage setting, went, damn, this needs some work. Started putting up, like, Mexican streamers, getting some Fiesta stuff going, got some music in here. <laughs> like, he brought the party <laughs> I think the only thing we missed was the pinata. Right. And it didn't even have candy in it. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it's, it, like I said, it's, it's a mystery to me. I, it, it just, it, it seems way more, uh, disjointed mm-hmm. than, uh, most of the other books that are sort of sideways. Yeah. Like it had a nice little tie with the Razzny, but, eh. <laughs> I could take it or leave it. I would have preferred that Uhtred just kind of read this stuff out of a book and, like, had it be a bit more, like, guided by a player's interest rather than, like, 
Arasni going, Find the Kumaru, and then sending them on a you know little jungle trek that amounted to Okay, we had a side journey. Well, I that that part being sent there doesn't bug me because I mean yeah. she doesn't know what the current state of the Kumaru is. Right. Presumably. And, you know, figuring it out, which presumably she did, you know, that he's he's using pieces of the shield and then, you know, remembering wait a minute, that shield is tied to the you mm-hmm. know, it's from the tree. Holy crap. There's a whole tree full of uh, you know, nuclear warheads over there. Right. I mean, that makes sense. That, you know, comes together, that flows naturally, I think, out of um, you know, his his Arasni uh in the tower or keep mm-hmm. that she was holed up in. It was a keep. And, you know, she's got the plants going in and out of her body. She's powering herself up and, you know, all that stuff. You know, that and then to the Kumaro is a is a I thought a beautiful transition. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you on the fact that it, it just, it, you know, did not satisfy in terms of the AP, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's just, I was left hungry. The, yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it, it seems extremely lean. It, it absolutely hundred percent does. I, uh, for me, what I'm looking forward to, and hopefully we'll see this at some point in book six is the, you know, the journey to uh, Absalon mm-hmm. to fight uh, Tarbafon. Oh yeah. No, 100% we're going there. Uh, it, like Alex already dropped that as like the little flash yep. when we were. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, I don't think he would have done that for nothing. And, you know, we were already talking about, you know, why the hell would you go out after the Kumaro tree when you got the, the damn thing sitting right there? In Absalon, which is way closer, way more accessible from where you're at. Well, no, that's actually, the, the, that's not completely true. Yes, it is closer, but here's the thing, and this is probably why Book 5 kind of works the way it does. The Kumaru is a touchstone for, you know, Yoli's Pan and Zapotle, but for the most part, as we've noticed, uh, and the players have kind of commented on, they're not really good about their security. Nessie was able to just, as a lone agent, go in, establish himself as a threat, take over Tumbaha Mountain, and just say, nah, you're good. Whereas Absalom has traditionally been able to push away threats of absolutely ridiculous scale. Both Geb and Nex have launched their own scaled attacks on this city to take the Starstone at some point and have failed. This city has, like, seen invaders from all sides and but has is that a function? Is that a function of Absalon's might? Yes. Or is it a function of everybody goes, oh shit, they're going for the superpower weapon. We got to get our butts over to Absalon and beef them up to make sure they don't get it because nobody. That's Absalom. We don't want anyone to have that. No, that is straight up Absalom. That is like it is that nation of its own, that city doing its thing. That is not like if oh that's... help me Andorin. Oh help me Taldor. No 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 no. I'm not saying they call out for help. You know, send us your your warriors. Oh woe is us. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that maybe everybody else around there goes, whoa, this is going down what, where? Absalon? Oh, no, no, no. 
No. Nobody gets that toy. No, straight up. It, like, it, it is just the legacy of those that have, like, built themselves around this well, in that case, humanity. In that case, then there's no reason for us to go to Absalon because Tarbafon is not better than Geb or Nex or any of the others. Buddy. He's right on par with those guys. Buddy He's no more, he is. no more threatening. He thinks he is, but what I'm saying is there's no point for our heroes to go there because they'll know Absalon has smacked down so many others before to him. Here's- and Tarbafon is not a level up. He's not dis- demonstrated, True. at least as I've seen in the APs, True. that he is a, a, a level up over Geb, mm-hmm. Nex, Name the guy that tried to take Absalon that he is somehow level up. He's not. He's on that level, which means Absalon goes, no problem. Go to DEFCON 1. Yep. Boom. Uh, uh, We've dealt with him. And that's just it, though. Is It's in this incident that I think Tarbafon is going to be the one that sets foot on soil first. And it'll be the reactive players that are going to have to follow him. I don't think they're going to go to Absalom themselves due to their own plans and plotting. They're cl- like they're going to hook up with the last wall survivors as, you know, what has been, you know, presented to us uh, mm-hmm. you know, from Ebony sending the uh, messaging that she did. So we're going to we're going to get that scene and in that scene what I suspect is likely going to happen is, hey, here's the situation with everyone that's still left from last wall. We want to make one last big push against whatever this army that Tarbafon has amassed. Here's the coordinates. We need to go dismantle what we can. And it's through the actions of trying to dismantle this army that we find what, you know, Tarbafon's real plans are, whether that's on Absalom or a, like, intermediary area first. And then they have to work their way through whatever commanders he's got. Because Book 6 is always Paizo's like, Alright, you've been going through the book bosses that were supposed to be these top tier, you know, individuals of the big bad scheme. Well, now here's his, like, last few commanders that have been pulling the strings of all the other books. Here are the people that, you know, you gotta take out or get them to fight each other in order to, you know, get to your big bad to really end this AP. I think that's... Yeah, I, I, I follow your AP design, and, and I see that pattern. Story-wise, if Absalon is that badass that they've knocked down everyone else, there seems to be no reason to go to be alarmed if Tarbafon goes to Absalon, and with the hint that we get the, we've already received. It's like, why wouldn't we go there? Here is so it doesn't feel like the stakes have been raised that. to be going to Absalon, but it seems to be like the story says, "Hey, we're going to Absalon." Mm-hmm. Well, that's just Un- it. unless it's some kind of a feint. The radiant fire is the equalizer. The radiant fire, the super weapon that Tarbafon has claimed, is the thing that raises him above. At least in his mind. From the way he's kind of lorded over the PCs, gloated about his, you know, general badassery. Like, Tarbafon strikes me as the ignorant type that would think that this one weapon is the thing that is going to change his circumstance over those of his predecessors. 
this thing that has nuked Vigil, a nation of crusaders and paladins that has thwarted him in the past, that has been a thorn in his side for so long, that is one of the places that has birthed the, you know, crusades against the world wound up to the north, that has protected the people across Avistan. No, he's, he's dealt with that threat now. And this weapon works. So if it's simply a matter of plowing his way through defenses, this weapon racks societies, destroys buildings without even so much of a thought. All he has to do is get close enough, drop a radiant fire or two, and hope that no one else stands in his way. If it gives him the thought that he could just snap his fingers and Arasni's gone, one of his most pained thorns of his past, of being a nuisance, somebody of that magnitude of power is just wiped clear by a single radiant fire, why wouldn't he think that he could take Absalom? I, I hear you. I get it. <laughs> I just feel like if Tarbafon is that much of a buffoon and that much of a clown is a villain, then it, I just find it super uncompelling that Absalom now, and, and keep in mind, he's, he's used radiant fire at Rossler's coffer. Nobody knew what it was. Mm -hmm. Nobody was super interested. He uses it again at uh, Vigil Gallowspire, I think before Vigil. Oh, right? yep, yep. No, if I remember right, correctly. Right. Now, one, he's got to use it to get out of Gallowspire, but it goes off a second time at Gallowspire. At the second time, Absalon, unless I'm totally misremembering the, the lore, is a center of of magic and knowledge and and power. To a certain degree, yeah, they've got they've got a pretty prominent uh, academy for magics and the like. Yeah, and not not that they're the only place, but they're a center, and it just seems to me that the casters there would start to take notice, and you know maybe reach out to some of the other prominent magical learning places. Well, that's just it. Um, I, I I don't and and. Start saying what's go. What was this going on? And using the scrying, and they've had a couple months. Yeah. And in a couple months' time, when you're under pressure, and you've got you know the powers of the universe to uh, command, it seems to me that you know defenses for the radiant fire could come up. And I would be like, if he'd gone from Gallowspire right to Absalon, okay, yeah, maybe he's still got the edge. But no, I'm going to nuke Vigil, mm -hmm. and that's. Three times, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna blast them at Renchurch. So now four times I've used that. Four of my nukes have been used. And here's my thing. And I'm like, how many more do you got, dude? I don't think that the the shattered shield was supposed to have that many pieces. I think it was 27 fragments for the shattered shield. I guess, yeah. But I mean, even at that point, you've done it enough that people can figure out what you've done. So enough to divert the energy or come up with defenses and you've lost your element of surprise and now your super weapon. Yeah, it's still devastating. I'm not going to say it's not, but you've had survivors at every location. Uh, no, I take it back. You've had you've had survivors at Vigil, yep. which uh, is a surprise. You had survivors at uh, Gallowspire. Although they were undead and survived mm -hmm. 
the blast. So you, you know, it's, it's obviously not totally devastating and that would now be information that could be gathered against it to be used against it. So it just seems like, so here, here's the catch. <laughs> it seems like Tarbafon then is such a, a clown. Why? Here's the catch. So nobody knew what happened at Rother's coffer, except for the PCs. Uh, then the one at Gallusby in order to release him was also not very much paid attention to. Uh, there were a few scouts, but you know, Nothing that seemed to get back to Vigil. Otherwise, you know, Vigil might not have gone off the way it did. Now, Vigil is the place where information would start to spread. From the time that Vigil went up like a candle, it had only been like a week or so before the guys, you know, rendezvoused with Erasne and were basically given the task of what they were meant to do. And we spent maybe another two weeks or so getting to uh gallowspire and handling the contents within i thought it i thought it was more like a month to gallowspire am i just Mm-mm. it was only about remembering it that? was only about a couple weeks like it felt a lot longer because of how much time we spent like getting episodes for it but like they spent at tops like three weeks to, you know, get to Gallowspire and start delving. And, you know, they spent a fair few days, like, in Gallowspire, but that only amounted to a week. So a month for basically all of Book 4, and that was it. Yeah, but you're, you have, um, yeah, I still, I, I, you've got, here's the, the thing. thing is, if you've got a powerful enough mage to mm-hmm. do the scrying. Here's the thing, though. And you put a bunch of them in one place. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like having more money than brains. The reason why you nuke Vigil is because uh, <coughs> Vigil is the nexus of information that would go up for Last Wall. It is the center of all of your enemies, and it would be the place where information would spread the quickest. With Vigil now left to just a dismal amount of survivors, there are far fewer clerics who are going to send word outward. And I don't think that the people of Absalom are going to notice something that is thousands of miles away to start. They would have to get contact from someone else first. The first thread that we got in terms of, hey, Tarbophon might be going for Absalom, didn't happen until the PCs started going, oh, this guy's got a god complex from within Gallaspire itself. And they when they resurfaced, well... They didn't go back to Vigil or contact any of their allies, which well, is why, uh, which is why Evni was like, "Where the hell were you? We've heard nothing since you left us, and like we didn't even know you were working with Arasni until we got rumors, which came from ah the Watcher Lord and the people that survived there, and well, wait, when when they went back to Curse, that had been you know a fair few days uh, after they had already you know kind of." did their thing, and yeah, that's right. when they said, oh, yeah. hey, now we're referring to it as the Gravelands, because information is now just starting to spread. I I disagree that it's starting. I mean, I understand what you're saying, and, and you've you've absolutely documented the locals and, and the average person in the area, but you have an entire world, mm-hmm. and in that world you have you know, these, these powerful magic users who are the 1% uh, powerful clerics. Yeah. But still that 1% tends that to be very one, secular and self-interested. It, yes. It, it certainly can be, but you have, you know, we're talking about 
some some locales like Absalon that has a bunch of them together, mm-hmm. and it and you have this level of power being displayed. I think the information is going to spread, and people are going to start putting together defenses. I mean, I hear you. even with um, Rogyar. You know, they were scrying and trying to figure out what was going on and spreading the word and moving away from last wall or prepping for refugees before they got the refugees and things like that. So that's because of Rokyard, because he was on the front well, lines of that. He left. He was. And went, he, hey, he did, this is a problem. But it, I, I cannot believe that that's the only flow of information on Golarian. Because oh, it's if, not. But if that is supposedly the only way this AP information gets out, then I mean, I, everybody's got to be like what tenth level, and that's it. Here's here's my rationale. I, I mean, I'm I'm just I'm just saying. There's I think there's other flows. I think Tarbafon has to be thinking about. There's mm-hmm. other people I've got to deal with. Sure, maybe they're not they're not up to my snuff, but you don't let you know a whole place sit there and not have a plan for it just because, uh-huh. you know. But here's my counter. So within, Unless he's a buffoon. Within Vigil, there are people of equal power to other high-powered people other places in the world. If they themselves did not feel that resonance within the weave of magic that you say that Absalom people who are three times, if not five times farther away from the source of this blast then why didn't they start bringing defenses up for Vigil before the PCs brought it up? Well, because in the story, they're rotten to the core. I Not mean, that's all the, of them. That's the magic of, of Last Wall in the story is that it's founded by paladins, and yet it is obviously a corrupt, broken, well, you know... What about Iluna then? Because if Iluna can bring back Yando, which is a 10th level feat, because you need to be 9th level minimum in order to get Ray's dead... She's not bad. She's actively helping the people. If that's all I, it takes. No, she, she is. Yeah. She is. I'm she just saying that... She didn't know about it until the PCs did. All I'm saying is that Absalom would not have but forward what I'm saying is, is somebody Last Wall is not the only source of people that are monitoring, quote-unquote monitoring, Tarbafon. Actually, I think that's the canon lore that they are the keepers of Gallowspire, and that's kind of yes, why they're this the keepers the of Gallowspire. They're the keepers of Gallowspire, but I find it hard to believe that on the whole planet, mm-hmm. there's no one else that goes, yeah, Tarbafon, an interesting, mm-hmm. interesting thing. Let me let me look in on that. And then there's no one else that thinks that or has any knowledge of the history of of Last Wall or Ustalab. I'm, gonna, next I'm forgetting bet. again the name of that. The place that he's in, uh, the country, Verlich, Verlich. Yeah, that's not a country per se. It's just a. It, it's just a province of. I believe it's at the north border of Last Wall slash like right at the edge of Ustalab. Let me bring up the map real quick. But in any event, there have to be some scholars of it. There have to be some people that want to keep an eye on it just to make sure that that doesn't break out. Held up. The Pathfinder Society, ironically, keeps no. tracks and tabs on all kinds of that they, crap. They, they do, but it's very. Uh, the Pathfinder Society tends to more go for active leads, and if something is contained, like Tarbafon has been for like several hundred years, uh, that's not necessarily an active lead that they're going to chase, which is kind of funny. 
No, I get it, but I mean, they must have a, you know, hey, let's check in on it today. Uh, yeah, it's Gal- been Galaspire is a the, year. Yeah, Ga- Galaspire is the south portion of Uslov, kind of southwest. It's right next to the Hold of Belks, in which, ironically, none of the orcs fucking care. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I just, that that's my thing. Uh, and yeah. so that, you know, it to me, it's... Yeah, I'm, I I don't want to think of Tarbafon as this as a buffoon. I want to th- I want him to have this level of you know strategic intelligence because he seems to be organizing armies and not just hordes. Uh huh. And if he doesn't have that, then it just to me says, well, this story you started out great, but really it was only a four book AP because after Gallaspire <laughs> and Renchurch, we're done. <laughs> I mean, and these other two books are a waste. Yeah, I mean, we'll and... see what he's got in terms of the army, because, you know, I'm sure he's got plenty of colorful people. <laughs> but, like, the, the main thing here is, like, wherever the PCs go, there's this established order that Tarbafon has put together to back him on his crusade to become a god. And the PCs are going to have to chase him, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I get we'll be chasing it. I just want I want the stakes to be... You know, to be real. I hear you. I mean, in 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 Yola Spawn and Zapadl, the stakes were real, even if we didn't have the depth that we wanted. Right. I think it will be there because I do think that the Radiant Fire is, in fact, that much of a problem that this will be something that, you know, could possibly threaten the order that, you know, Absalom's known. Like... I, I, do, I do think it has that gravitas that way, because it does come from a divine, you know, being. Because this, this was Eridan, the champ, like the essence of, you know, mankind made God, right? As much of a dick as he was, like, it does not devalue just how potent the magical artifacts that are remnants of his, you know, divine spark were, right? Like... Aerodin beat the piss out of him before, and, you know, now, you know, using his enemy's weapon against, you know, those that he championed. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I think it's, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm excited to see where they get, the guys go. I'm hoping that uh, the book, the AP, uh, gets back on having that, you know, heady weight to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and the feeling of depth, like we need to be here. Rather than, yeah, I don't know exactly why we're here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, we'll see. I, I love what the boys have been doing. I can't wait to see what they get into. And I hope the retrospective turns out to be just as enlightening as book four's was. Because that was a blast. <laughs> Any comments from so, you, Tess? I, I, you guys are so deep in lore that I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Oh man, I I don't know the lore that well. I really don't. I wish I did. I just I I I I don't. <laughs> Hand hands down, Zeno knows the lore way better than I do. Yes, but you I, know enough that you can follow along in this conversation. You guys have mentioned people that I don't know who they are. <laughs> I'm just like, uh huh. Uh-huh. I just I just follow the logic, really. Uh huh. You know, if if you say so and so is X. Then why must follow? It's, it's fair, and I can misremember certain aspects of the lore here and there, but you know, 
Well, I don't, I, you know, I don't think that you, one, I don't think that you are. I think you're very knowledgeable on the lore. Uh, like I said, way more knowledgeable than me. I think it's just, uh, you know, we're both, we're both chasing it. We're both hungry to find that, you know, that answer and see that, you know, see that end game developing. And then, you know, what are going to be the details with the guys doing it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we both want that the guys to be meaningfully engaged in finishing this rather than it be some kind of afterthought mm -hmm. like, well, they didn't really need to be there. I mean, the last thing we want is this to be like Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> where Indiana Jones could never have been in the movie and been in the story. And it still would track right along and end exactly the same way that it did. Mm -hmm. Ain't that the truth? Either way, I, I have to say, Richter, thank you for book five. Your contribution made it what it was, and all the more enjoyable. I'm humbled, sir. Okay, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I guess, uh, yeah. I mean, we've been going... Almost two hours. Jesus. <laughs> oh, you're going to make me edit this. <laughs> Ah, uh, but Toast, think of all the content, and you can cut it all down. Just I mean, not so. everything we go over needs to be needs to be here. So you, you know, you can just start you I, know, clipping I away. I wouldn't know what to cut. I don't understand what happened half the time anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to cut. I'd cut something, and then people listening would be like, "Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Where they, how'd they get from 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 this to the, where did the content go? What happened? <laughs> the editor's an idiot. <laughs> no, you're not an idiot." No one would ever say that about you, Toast. They know you work with me. They'd assume it was my fault. <laughs> I guarantee. And if you want, I can even blackmail them into thinking that way. <laughs> uh, why don't we just go ahead? But thank you for coming by, Zeno. I I didn't understand half of what we did, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm glad you at least enjoyed it. I'm sorry that I left it in a confusing mess. That's <laughs> perfectly fine hopefully book six will clear it up i'm sure that alex will give us some satisfying narrative ends yes all right you ready to stop recording then sure sounds did good did you want your closing statements i i didn't have anything oh i meant more you like the see ya and all that other oh, oh she'll she'll edit that into the uh the episode okay so she'll she'll bookend it with our our episode uh yeah. see you later fair enough See y'all at the retrospective. <sighs> All right. Well, I guess that's going to do it for us this week. You can find us and the players on the Inspired Incompetence Discord. Links can be found at inspiredincompetence.com. I'm Lady Toast. And I'm Lord Richter. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. I'll probably just cut that bit because I don't want to advocate it at all. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good idea. It's very funny, though. I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I tell jokes just for you. <laughs> <laughs>